Hello, welcome back to the Veterans Lounge Podcast. I am your host, Miguel Mata, and today we have another special guest, another special veteran, Mr. Tyler Hairston. Now, Tyler is someone who grew up in a tough neighborhood on Long Island, but he decided that he was going to take control of his future, and he felt like the Marine Corps was the way to do that. Unfortunately for Tyler, he would enter into a battle with depression and it would ultimately end up in him being labeled by his unit. In this episode of the Veterans Lounge podcast, Tyler shares that he reached a low point from which most veterans don't return, but that now at present he has a new and bright and hopeful outlook for the future so without further delay here's tyler harrison hello welcome back to the veterans lounge podcast miguel Mata, your host here with another special individual another uh one of our awesome military veterans mr tyler harrison say hello tyler Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you being on the podcast, and I definitely appreciate you sharing your story with us. Uh, The philosophy behind this podcast is that um, the more stories that the more veteran stories that we share, the more help that there is for veterans who are out there who might be struggling with different issues in their transition and their yeah and their transition in their personal lives that sort of mm-hmm. stuff. Because as we all know, you know the jump from military life to civilian life it's not as smooth as we as it as it could be. And I believe a project like this could help out. So thank you very much for for, uh, helping out. I appreciate it. No problem. Tyler, Mm -hmm. the way I like to start these little interviews off is I like to hear what events led to your joining the service. You being a Marine, by the way. Yeah. I know that you're you're prior Marine Corps. Once a Marine, always Marine. I know this. But what led you to join the Marine Corps? Um, well, I come from a town in Long Island. By him said, it's a town just filled with African, African-American and Hispanics, very rough. Um, college wasn't the thing for me, and I wanted to change my environment of being around gang activity, drugs, and other situations like that. And... I needed to definitely grow up and mature. So originally I was going to go into the Navy, but um, the recruiter was just wasting my time. And I was in his recruiting office and I see the Marines walk by and I see the recruiters in their uniform looking sharp, looking very confident, chest out, shoulders rolled back. And I saw the PT they were doing. And for some reason, just something my brain clicked and said, hey, I want that. And little did I know that it would change my life forever. 
Real quick question. The Navy was wasting your time. How are they wasting your time? Well, the recruiter, <laughs> not, not not as in the Navy as an entire. Right, right. Okay. The Navy recruiter was wasting your time. How's that? Yeah. To clarify the Navy recruiter, because he kept telling me, because I've always been a big guy. So he said, oh, you need to lose weight. So usually when someone hears, okay, you need to lose weight, they usually say, okay, how many pounds? And let's see what we could work with. But he kept giving me percentages. Oh, you need to have your neck shrink down to this size in your waist. And I kept saying, listen, sir, I'm not really good with computing all these neck and waist percentages. <laughs> Just give me pure pounds. I'll get on it. You know, do P90X, whatever. I'll go run. Probably haze myself to lose his weight. You're right. And he never gave me an exact amount of okay. weight I had to lose. And when you went to the Marines, what they tell you? They told me, hey, you need to lose 30 pounds in order to ship out. And at first, it was very difficult. The pulley PC, as they have it, is intense. If any of my Marines uh, who are currently serving or any of my Marine vets, we all know pulley PT is no joke. And they PT the crap out of you, but it helps in the long run when you get to boot camp. So I was in a depth the delayed entry program for about, whoa, three to six months before I shipped out. Cause you got 30 pounds in three to six months. Yeah. yeah. I, I had to change my eating and that was the first shock factor of the Marine Corps. I wasn't in yet, but that was like a little taste of the shock factor. And little did I know that I was going to lose a whole bunch more weight when I got into boot camp. So. Has weight is weight always kind of been a thing for you? Uh, bef um, I mean, before the, the service, yeah. before you joined the service? Yeah, like I said, kind of... I've always been a big boy, just Were you an athlete birth. at all? Um, athlete, just I out of curiosity. Um, in high school. Right. In okay. high school, I was, it's funny though, I didn't do the traditional football. I took other routes of volleyball across kind of went outside the box. Okay, I see. Outside the box for just sports in general, because everybody looks at me and they see a big guy and they're like, oh, he plays football. Yeah, okay. And I'm just like, no, I don't. What so do you mean it you don't sounds play like football? it sounds like when you, you say when you were in high school and then which it, at least it's, it sounds to me like you're suggesting like there was some a time between when you got out of high school and you joined the service. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there was a uh Two a two year period where I was just working. Okay, at, uh, I had retail jobs and it was just dead end retail jobs. So um, you, you put on a lot of weight when you were when you got out of high school. Is what happened? Yeah, a okay. lot of and honestly, you could say it was linked to like depression, and whatnot, because everybody else was off to college and doing whatever. And me, I just I wasn't really mentally ready for college. I wasn't okay. And I did put on a lot of weight, so. In order to ship out for a boot camp, I had to definitely drop some pounds. And it already sounds like we're kind of scratching the surface of something bigger, right? Yeah. Before we get into that, though, let's let's I'll, I'll let you continue your your story. So you joined the service. You joined the Marines. Mm -hmm. Yes. What was that experience like? Um, it was definitely a culture shock for me uh, with boot camp going down to Paris Island. Um. Just the nervousness I had from leaving MEPS uh, in Brooklyn, New York, which was on an army base, and staying in the hotel overnight. I'll never forget this. 
when I shipped the night before I shipped out, I was in the hotel room and I was watching Game of Thrones. And for some reason, I was just nervous, couldn't sleep. Only had like an hour of sleep. And once they flew us down to Savannah, Georgia, we rode the bus to Paris Island. It was just, I felt like I was just worlds and worlds away from home, from New York, and really threw me for a loop. Challenging. Did you, were you questioning your enlistment? That's kind of a dumb question then, I guess, right? Of yeah. course you were questioning. You're like, what am I getting into, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. It was uh Definitely, like I said, it was a culture shock. And I was at the point where I was literally the third day into boot camp. Literally in my head, I'm like, why did I raise my hand at MEPS? Was, is this really worth it? Just all just all the pondering just hit me at once. But little did I know the challenges and the obstacles in store. And just, and just for boot camp in those three months, little did I know that it would have a heavy impact on me. Really? What what year was that by chance? What year did you uh, do it was June 9th of 2014. What was your job? What was your MOS? My MOS was 0111, which was administrative clerk. And what kind of work did you do? Um I did I typed orders um for Marines coming in uh coming into our unit who are on temporary duty or Orders for Marines who were getting stationed around the around the world, uh, type promotion warrants, um, award certificates, um, help Marines with their travel, really anything of like administrative esque. I did it. Yeah, all that, all those official documents that we that we mm-hmm. that everybody else has in there, yeah. and you, of course, yourself, mm-hmm. all those official documents that you have in your, in your uh, record yeah. that passes through that pa- That's the sort of stuff that passed through your hands. Yep. All of it. Is that something you picked or did they, did they pick that? Um, for you? So the funny thing is I picked that because there was a deal my mom had made because originally she did not want me to go in because, you know, mothers have a general, I guess, interpretation of the military and she said hey the only way you will be able to go into the marine corps is if you get a job or mos that will benefit you in the outside world and the civilian life so between it was between like few mos's i can't really remember all of them but i remember administrative clerk being there and i'm like okay i'll pick that one so did you enjoy your job um Actually, I did enjoy my job. I enjoyed helping Marines even. I wasn't, it wasn't the help that people generally think, like with infantry or any other MOS. I enjoy being the guy really more behind the scenes. The truth is, you're actually pretty good at yeah, job. Yeah, right? uh, you're actually yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't like bragging when I, but I was pretty, I was, well, damn good at my job because I ended up becoming the go-to guy for the whole unit. And that's actually a lot of pressure when you become that guy of being that go-to guy and everybody's coming to you and they're not going to your higher ups. They directly see you and they hear the reputation and they come to me. So that, uh, it can be a lot of pressure. Definitely. I get that. I get that. I, I've, I, I can understand that. There's a point in your career that I was hoping we could talk about a little bit because I think a lot, right, of, of people can relate to it. 
And it has to do with a period of your career towards the end when all that pressure, if you will, and then the what you already kind of touched on with mm-hmm. depression, it all came to a head. Definitely. Um, Can you tell us a little bit yeah, about that? So I got to a point where being that guy, it went from being, you could say, a blessing um, and went from being that to a curse because I went from just doing a general workload for an individual Marine to taking on everybody's work. And I was really at one point taking care of 300 plus people. And I got to the point between that pressure, um, the lack of constant breaks, family issues outside of Marine Corps, and then my own personal issues. I got to the point where I was fighting really some bad demons and my depression and my anxiety definitely almost got the best of me. I attempted suicide. I mean, thank God I'm still here, but it was really a wake-up call. But that's when I saw another side of um, the Marine Corps and the military that I wasn't expecting to see within my four years. I'm sorry that you got to a point where you felt like you had nowhere else to turn. Um, it was... And I, and I only ask this question because I want to make sure that I'm mm-hmm. clear on the details. I'm clear on the story. Yeah. I'm clear on your story because there's a difference. Because there's a um, thinking, there's having suicidal thoughts, and then there's actually attempting suicide. Were you having suicidal thoughts or did you actually make the attempt? So it was both. So at first it was the ideations. So basically I'll backtrack a little bit. Um, I'm not going to mention any outside names because they're, they were good people, but I'm not going to mention just, it's just about, I'm mentioning myself. Um, it got to, it was March 20, no, excuse me, February 25th, 2017. Like I explained earlier, it was, um, just a culmination of events and with depression, anxiety, and I was having heavy suicidal ideations. I was going back and forth, back and forth. And I was um, at a friend's house and there were, there was alcohol and it was a barbecue and I had one too many drinks and the suicidal ideations got so heavy that I got to the point where I said, screw it. I'm taking myself out. I'm I'm going to erase my existence. So my friend had everybody's keys up on a key ring and he forgot I'm tall. So I jumped up, grabbed my keys, hopped in my car and basically attempted to drive. I was driving my car throughout town doing speeds upwards of 90 to 100 miles per hour. I was going to try to take my car and crash it into any pole that would really take me out. Before doing that, I was hitting, I was redlining, hitting the rev, the rev limiter on the RPM. I hit it so hard that my car actually overheated and stopped before I could kill myself. And um, my buddies who were at the party, they one of them found out that I had left. And they didn't really know the full story, but they came and got me. They found me. And... 
I didn't go to the psych ward until a week later. I didn't want anybody in my unit to know what happened because I didn't want that pressure. And it was just, I couldn't really tell anybody in my unit because it was just the trust factor that wasn't there anymore. So I was kind of in a whole different world after that. The first, the first thing I want to make clear is that you didn't feel you were having these, these ideations and you were having these thoughts and you didn't feel comfortable going to anybody in your unit to talk about them. Not at the time, no. Not at all. To discuss them. And they, these, these thoughts had been festering for some time. And you just got to a point during a party after consuming alcohol where it just, your, your depression, these thoughts got too much. Yeah. And that's when you, and you made the, and then you, you, you got your keys Mm-hmm. You made you were, your intent was to um your your intent was to commit suicide by getting to a car accident yes and the the and i'm only i'm only retracing these steps because i want to make sure that i've got the story right mm-hmm. um but the part where i guess i got kind of lost when you said you hit it you're just talking about the uh, the, the, red, the red line right yeah the red line when right. you uh, accelerate Past a certain RPM. Right. So you you overheated your car, but you didn't actually yeah. get into an accident. Okay. No. And you had friends who came to find you. That that's good. Yeah. But because yeah. of the distrust in your unit, you didn't go and seek help for a week until a week later. Yeah. What happened when you did find some help? So when I went to go find help, I actually went to one of uh, the staff NCOs uh, within my admin uh, office. And I didn't tell her situation. I just said, staff sergeant, I need help. I need to go to Fort Alpha, which is um, on Camp Lejeune, a military psych ward. I'm like, I need to go admit myself to Fort Alpha. So basically, for everybody else, it was kind of like definitely a curveball because everybody thought it was fine. They thought, oh, Harrison's just ready to get back into work. Nobody knew I had this giant situation weighing down and they didn't know how extreme it was. So once I had went to go get help, it, I guess all the higher ups found out in my unit. And that's when, like I said, it just definitely turned things into a different light. What do you mean by that exactly? So basically once I got out of four alpha, I was there for, Roughly two weeks. Um, my mom came up and my twin brother. And then somehow, well, I think through my staff sergeant, my mom got on base, on both bases. Um, my base where I was at was uh, New River. And a couple bases over was Camp Lejeune, the main base, where she got uh, got into to come see me at the psych ward. It was... um. It was just definitely, I don't know, it was weird. Um, I definitely felt out of place after the whole thing. Um, My unit really didn't make me feel welcome anymore. I wasn't that guy anymore. I was more of the guy in a negative scope instead of being that guy in a positive scope. Was it a feeling that you had or did, was there any explicit comments or directions or anything like that? Did anybody say um, anything out loud? Before we get into this any deeper than mm-hmm. we already have, 
I just want to make sure that that you you're you understand that at any point you can you can like you don't have to you don't have to go in any you know deeper yeah. than you don't have to discuss this any more than you than you feel comfortable. All right. Definitely. Yeah, it was a feeling of basically loss of camaraderie, um, loss of trust. I was definitely I, I did have a label on my name because, like I said, I'm gonna keep referring to the Marine Corps because a lot of Marines know this. Usually, when there's an incident, and not just legally, but you have three labels, three risk. A low risk Marine, where it's just like, oh, okay, you got a little slap on the wrist, don't do it again. You have someone who checks in once in a blue moon with you. Then you have medium risk, where it's you or uh, your repeat offender of something, and now you get in uh, someone to generally check in with you on a probably a weekly basis or a monthly basis. You may have a couple NJPs. Then you got high risk, and that's okay, something serious has happened with this Marine. You got someone come and check on you every other day or every day, possibly every hour. And now I was put as labeled, I was labeled as a high-risk Marine. And that was when I felt like everybody approached me with caution. I did hear a lot of things going around the unit. Um, I heard people saying that I was crazy, that I lost it, um, that, Basically, I wasn't fit to be a Marine anymore. And I'm not going to lie. It was hurtful hearing those things. So. so you lost the trust, basically, of your unit. Mm-hmm. They didn't trust you anymore. No. And then, and then you lost, and then they lost your trust because of the, the, um, because of the stuff that you were hearing. Yeah. And, um. This, I didn't mention this before, but then it got really bad because after I got out the psych ward, I went to um, in, inpatient, well, intensive outpatient therapy. So I was basically put in like therapy on Camp Lejeune, go to these meetings. I, w- I still had to come back to work after. And I was only at the meetings only from like 07 till probably 1500. I still had to go back and do work on top of all this. So while I'm trying to recover, they're still making me work. Um, I was on antidepressants. So then the weight came back on. I was put on BCP, which for if anybody doesn't know, it's called body composition. And that was another thing. So down struggle with weight, my command change all in the middle of this chaotic storm and the new command that I got, the new COXO, Sergeant Major, they fully didn't understand. So then I got pinpointed as, oh, you're not fit anymore, as in I'm not physically fit. And then that's when I started getting threats because I couldn't keep up with the weight standards. I'll be honest, I couldn't because I was just dealing with a lot. And that's when I got threatened with separation multiple times and... That was, I had a year and a half left, and I'll be honest, that year and a half was probably the worst out of my whole four years. Did you, did you get, um, did they separate you, or did, were you able to separate on, on good terms? Did you get an honorable discharge? Uh, yeah, so the thing is, before I left the psych ward, and sorry, I don't mean to jump around, I forgot to mention it, um, the doc, I forgot his, um, rank because he was in the Navy, but the Naval doc, um, 
he basically gave my command a choice of having having me medically separated or me finishing out my contract. And they chose to let me finish out my contract. And I mean, thank God through all the turmoil and whatnot, I did get out honorably. So on my D214, it says honorable condition. So yeah, I got out honorably. Well, that's good. That's good. Yeah. How are you doing now? Because you're just, I mean, we're, 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 I'm already leapfrogging over a bunch of stuff. Yeah. And, but, but it's because, you know, you, you did share quite a bit and pretty heavy. And so, but with all that, with all that you have shared, I'm curious, how are you doing now? Uh, now I'm doing better. I mean, I still struggle. I'm not going to lie. I'm not perfect human. Um, I still struggle a little bit with my depression, anxiety, but I'm doing way better than what I was when I was in the Marine Corps. Now, when I got out at first, this was, um, I remember I went on terminal April 26th of 2018. I was happy that I was out, but then I wasn't really, I was, I, I didn't know what the civilian world had in store for me. So transitioning for the first like six months was hell. It was definitely hell. Um, and then fast forward now, I'm doing a lot better, but it was rough first transitioning. What made it so difficult? Do you mind sharing that a little bit about that? Um, sure. What made it difficult was because, and I think any veteran could definitely touch on this if you've done four to however many years. Even though I hate to say it like this, but it's honest to God truth. When you go through any branch of the service and any boot camp, any training, in a sense, you are reprogrammed because they are making either they're making a Marine, a sailor, a soldier, airman, coast guardsman, whatever you want to call it. You're still you, but now it's your more developed, mature person. And when I got out, no one seemed to understand. I was moving at a different pace. I had a different mindset. Um, I felt really isolated. It was hard to make friends. I had buddies back in Marine Corps that I left and, I just ended up turning to just working a lot. Really didn't have a life or a group or anything like that. So I just turned to Lily working. I was doing two jobs before um, registering for school. I think a lot of veterans will agree, you know, that your military identity is such a big part of who you are. And it's like when you get out of the service, it's like, who am I now? Right. That That's kind yeah. of something that I dealt with. Definitely. So it sounds like your transition period was was challenging, but it also sounds like you might have found yourself um, a direction. What, uh, what's your direction? What, what, what are you doing? At first, I was at Nassau Community College on Long Island. Um, I was just going for liberal arts. I didn't know what I wanted to do. Fast forward, probably a couple years down the road, um, I'm, I moved down to South Carolina. I'm at College of Charleston. I'm majoring for physical education um, to be a gym teacher, but I also want to be a lacrosse coach because lacrosse actually did become a really big part of me early on in my life, but it became kind of a saving grace as well after my incident. Really? How so? Um. So with the game of lacrosse, um, well, first of all, a little brief background history. Um, 
it was a game created by Native Americans and they call it the medicine game. And the whole point of that phrase is for you to give back and feel good while you're playing it. And I never saw it in that light before. So after my incident, I started, I went back to lacrosse, but I saw it in a different light and it ended up becoming a positive outlet for me to where I look forward to playing it every week because whatever stressors I had on my mind, I could just let it go and let loose and just play this game. And I didn't care how much I was running, how much I was shooting, whatever I was doing. I was just in a good mood. I'm happy you found that. So you're doing lacrosse right uh, now? Oh, yeah. So actually, um, I just came back from doing a tournament called Shootout for Soldiers. Um, it's where a group of people get together, and most of them are veterans. And basically, it's military and lacrosse converge, and we do a 24-hour tournament to raise money for veteran organizations like Rangers Lead the Way, Simplify Fund. We do have active duty branches come out. Um, anybody could play. It's only every, it's a game every hour or an hour. So, I mean, we had kids from ages five all the way to elderly men who were 60. We have um, special needs games uh, like wheelchair lacrosse and stuff like that. I mean, it's a great, safe space and for me I found out about it during my time in the Marine Corps but it really like it was cool at first but it really started meaning a lot to me after my incident and that's when I really took it serious and I just went to it um last week and like I said just that safe space nobody's really judging nobody cares what you look like what you did all they care about is taking care of you. We, we basically take care of each other. We come and it's, it happens every year. So we come from all over and we're literally, some of us created bonds through this tournament. And well, I mean, it's just a great feeling. You have to be there in person to really experience it, but it's a great feeling. There's veterans, there's first responders, law enforcement, paramilitary guys. And it's just awesome. Tyler, you know what, what's cool about that is that you're actually touching on like the two main points mm -hmm. that I talk about on this podcast. One, most veterans have difficulty yeah. transitioning into civilian life. It's it hard. Is. It's hard. It's not, it's hard. The, but the other thing is, is that vets do better with True. vets. It became obvious to me that the the people that are best suited for helping veterans are Definitely. other veterans because we just do so much better with each other, you know, and that's not to say anything bad about the civilian community or any of the services that are that are available in the civilian community, et cetera. But I, I, I just tend to believe that we do better when we look out for each other. And it sounds like you kind of found you found that you found that you figured it out i'm so sorry that you had um that your life you reached a point in your life where you felt like you were no longer needed in mm -hmm. this world but i'm here to tell you especially if you're going into education you are i appreciate needed. it you are needed and you're going to make a difference you're going to make a difference your military experience and your life experience 
are going to pay huge dividends in education. So keep keep up the good work, and I wish you the very best of luck in that Thank in you. that regard. Um, you feel like you're doing better Definitely. now, though. Um, you said, and with the lacrosse thing to jump back into that, um, I've started to mentor. So when I got out the military and I was having a rough time transitioning throughout that storm, I had a little bit of peace, a calm. And that was going back to my old high school. I know there's things people like, why do you go back to your high school? Like, get over it, you graduated. And it wasn't about that. <laughs> it was about giving back to the kids in my community because I know I came from a rough community. And sadly, my community, we witnessed our friends die. So I wanted to go back and be a role model and show like, hey, here's somebody who made it out the hood. And he took a different route, but he's coming back and giving back. But also, though, it wasn't about me. I wanted to focus on those kids. And that became a huge part of me to the point now I have kids that are still in uh, my old high school. They're sophomores, juniors, and they're improving. Um, their relationship with their parents are they're getting better on lacrosse. They're getting better grades. And it's because not just of me, it's me making them realize their worth. It wasn't because someone reached out to me. It's because I wanted to do it out of the kindness of my heart. I wasn't looking for any monetary gain, no uh, no publicity. It was just slowly I wanted to do it, and I ended up loving it. Awesome. So you were just kind of touching base with with – kids that were going to that high school and yeah just i wanted to see because um i just wanted to see how the state of high school was if the community was getting better sadly it wasn't and i thought to myself i'm like hey man you may have the power to you know spark a change and you can't reach out to everyone but you may be able to at least impact one kid and when i saw that my impact went beyond just one kid it i'm like screw it, let me run with it. So every year when I go up to Long Island, I try to go around the lacrosse season and get back to my old high school and just teach them a little bit. That's awesome. Tyler, we're probably going to, we're running out of time, but we're probably going to have to get into that a little bit more. Definitely. So if you're, if you're willing to do so, sure. um, maybe we can set up a, a second, a follow-up episode because I'd like to get into Definitely. that a little bit because that is so Definitely. fantastic. That is so fantastic. Um, kids, need they need mentors they need people who who can direct them they need um especially in the low-income communities inner city communities that you're talking about um you know you could get into the politics of it which i know you and i are not a fan of you can get into the history of it you can get into all these things that's that that is what it is but what else is true is that right now People like you and I, veterans, can make a difference in kids' lives and really make a change for the better for the future. So good for you. Good for you for figuring that out and good for you for for making that impact. But uh, we might have to follow up and do this again because I want to hear a little bit more about that story. Um, Thank you so much uh, for sharing your story with us. I'm a firm believer that your brain can only retain as much as your ass can withstand. <laughs> yep. And if yeah. people, <laughs> if, if you, if you run these yep. things too long, you know, it, it, it goes a little bit, but 
tune it keep stay tuned folks because tyler's coming back and he's going to share some more with us we're, we're going to make that happen but you've been through so much and i congratulate you for overcoming such a difficult period of your life and coming out the other end right now pointing Thank north you. um look we we've all experienced we have we've all had for for lack of a better word right now we've all had shitty leadership mm -hmm. but you're doing okay now yes sir that's behind you and you're doing okay now and the good you take the good with the bad and you push forward exactly. so good for you man good for you and thank you for sharing your story congratulations once again best of luck to you thank you in the future tyler and um i appreciate you being on the veterans lounge podcast thank you for having me i appreciate it i'd like to thank our guest tyler harrison for being on the veterans lounge podcast today i tell you what i am super proud of this guy he's a fantastic example of resilience and reinvesting his energy into the community I am proud that he took it upon himself to go back to his old community, the community that he grew up in, and spend time with the youth in that area. So that way he could try and mentor and motivate and inspire those young people. My opinion will always be that our communities are in desperate and dire need of leaders and mentors. And I feel just as strongly that the, the people that can help our communities the most are our military veterans. I believe that veterans could be a beacon of hope for our communities, especially our youth, because it's the youth that really need those mentors, those leaders. They need to be inspired, and I believe that veterans can inspire young people. Maybe not necessarily to join the military, but to demonstrate uh, to demonstrate for them and to share with them what it looks like to overcome adversity. Because each and every one of us has had to do that at some point or another, whether it be in our career uh, as military members, in our transition, or afterward. But we've all had to do it, and we all know what it looks like. And I believe that the youth of our country could benefit from hearing our stories and learning through our experiences. So I'm glad to hear that Tyler is doing just that, that he was resilient to bounce back from his, his um, very difficult circumstances and then, took, and then had a, a moment of clarity to realize that he could take his energy and refocus it into his community. So good job for Tyler, very proud of him. Thank you for tuning in to the Veterans Lounge podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, don't forget to like, subscribe, and share, and comment. I'm looking for feedback. This is not a perfect product by any means, and I could always use positive feedback, good positive critiques. If you're a guy out there who wants to provide some negative feedback, it, it, is, it is what it is. I'm a big boy. I'm, I'm a big boy. I can take it. But if you want to provide some positive feedback some constructive criticism i'm always up for it but don't forget also that when you subscribe to click the bell so you get notifications of future episodes okay the veterans lounge podcast is available wherever you listen to your podcast uh, don't forget to subscribe and share it from there as well thank you very much for tuning in to the veterans lounge podcast i am miguel mata your host you guys take care we'll talk to you again soon 
God bless. If you would like to be a guest on the Veterans Lounge podcast, go to veteransnexus.org slash podcast to learn how. The Veterans Lounge podcast is a project produced in association with the Veterans Nexus Foundation, where they put veterans first and provide opportunities for vets to meet their higher education goals and also find employment as they transition back into civilian life. If you'd like to learn more about Veterans Nexus, visit veteransnexus.org.